Hello there, my name is Danny Yeoman, wild bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. Welcome to the next of a number of podcasts detailing some of the amazing birds that we see and feed in our gardens. Every couple of weeks we'll be looking at a different bird and this week we'll be looking at the spectacular starling. Forget about CCTV covering your every move. When you get into the habit of putting out food for birds in your garden, you soon learn that starlings are keeping an even closer eye on you, nearer to home. Before your back is turned, a squadron of starlings drops in and gets stuck into the food. Alert outlooks and many memories to record the best feeding locations are just two of the advantages of travelling in a flock. But starlings are more than recyclers of leftovers. As pest controllers, they can be a gardener's best ally. To starlings, the close-cropped grass on your lawn harbours a feast of insects, earthworms and spiders. Typically, a small formation stomps over the green sward, heads down, probing the soil with their beaks. When the earth is damp and soft, a starling can part his bill underground and feel around for the wiggly, root-nibbling leather jackets and wireworms. It can also rotate his eyes to look along its beak and gaze into the hole it's made in the earth. Many people have mixed feelings about a mob of starlings descending on their garden. Some admire the irrepressible go-for-it approach to life and are amused by the petty wrangling. To others, they're boisterous, raucous pirates, apparently bullying smaller birds out of the food on the bird tables or feeders. But if you think starlings make a din in your garden, then witness the sensational aerobatic display of thousands of starlings before they go to roost on an autumn and winter's evening. At sunset, flock after flock gathers at an established roosting site. The sight of a vast babbling black cloud of birds whirling overhead is simply breathtaking. The flight is impeccably choreographed. Each bird follows the others beside it, so the whole crowd can swirl and swoop in perfect unison without colliding. The frenzy builds until suddenly the birds nosedive into cover and settle down for the night. If you live in an area where you're fortunate enough to see these amazing synchronised displays, it may surprise you to learn that these birds are in trouble. Their numbers have declined by about 66% since 1970, and these once common birds are now a red-listed bird on the conservation list and of high conservation concern. The full reason for this drop in numbers are not fully understood, but loss of permanent pastures which provide insect food for their young is thought to be the major factor. If you would like to help starlings in your local area, they do eat a lot of insects, so feeding foods like Peter and Paul mealworm mix or Peter and Paul in full song will certainly make a difference. You can also plant an elder tree, as starlings seem to be very fond of elderberries, and erect a large nest box with a two-inch diameter hole high up on a shady wall of your house. Starlings like to live alongside people and have a long association with us, particularly around farms. When starlings alight on the back of sheep, they're taking ticks and other parasites from the sheep's skin. This behaviour has led to many localised names for the starling, including sheep stare. The name stare, and ultimately starling, may have derived from the Greek word saros, meaning flecked, or it may have the same derivation as the word star. Either way, it's the most likely that the name is due to the white speckled plumage of the bird. 
Smaller than a blackbird, these seemingly dull-coloured birds are anything but boring. Their iridescent plumage means they glitter blue, purple and turquoise in the light. To top this off, the speckled white breast of their winter plumage gives them a fantastic icy shimmer. Males and females may appear quite similar, however there is one way to tell them apart. Their sharp yellow beaks are quite long, but look to the base of these beaks and you'll see that male has a blue base and the female has a pink base. Starlings are noisy birds, and are not restricted to singing just their own songs. The species has a talent for mimicry, and can easily copy the sounds made by other birds, and can even imitate human voices. Starlings are outstanding mimics, and incorporate accurate copies of other birds. House sparrows and jackdaws seem to be one of their favourites. Frogs and mammals, barking dogs are also a favourite of theirs, and even mechanical sounds like mobile ringtones, car alarms and doorbells into their song. Exactly why starlings do this is unknown, but the ability to mimic may play a part in attracting a mate. The bird's vocal range is so impressive that it's often been kept as a pet and taught to sing. Mozart even had a starling that was capable of singing part of the piano concerto in G major. Starlings nest in some sort of cavity or hole, but where it is and what's it in is not in great importance to starlings. So holes in trees, cavities in walls, buildings and ruins, between rocks on cliffs and quarries, plus nest boxes with a large enough entrance hole, ideally 2 inches or 45 millimetres, will all be used. 
Typically, loose colonies of breeding pairs are formed. The nest itself is not the neatest of constructions, and consists of plant stems, grass, moss, and often lined with feathers or wool. The male builds much of the nest before pairing with the female, with the latter finishing the job with the lining. Female birds from the same colony lay their first clutches at the same time, in late March or April. The clutch will consist of four or five pale blue eggs, which take 12 days to incubate. The chicks fledge after 21 days. As the egg laying is synchronised, all the young starlings in any given area will emerge at the same time and will then hunt for food with their parents. If you're looking to attract these wonderful birds to your garden, you'll need to entice them with some tasty treats. As mentioned earlier, starlings consume both invertebrates and fruit, so be sure to put up a mix of both and keep it fresh. Both dried mealworms and live mealworms will make a delicious treat for any starling that visit your garden. Alternatively, opt for Peter and Paul mealworm mix or Peter and Paul in full song, which both contain fruits, seeds and nuts, all of which are bound to keep starlings coming back for more. Peter and Paul Bird Foods are the UK's first wild bird seed mix made with no compromise. There's no other commercial mix available with the uncompromising quality of Peter and Paul, free from wheat and fillers and guaranteed to attract the greatest abundance and diversity of birds to your garden. Peter and Paul seed mixes have been blended with Nutravio, a unique natural seed coating that is a digestible energy source which inhibits bacterial growth. This can help prevent birds from picking up common bugs including Salmonella and E. coli. Many other seed mixes available contain filler seeds and other products that many of their favourite garden birds just won't eat. As much as 60-70% of a bag of seed can contain these filler seeds and that will end up uneaten, wasted on the ground, where it's likely to rot, germinate or potentially attract garden pests like mice and rats. You'll not find any of these filler seeds in a bag of Peter and Paul. So just why is it that you rarely or never hear someone say, starlings are my favourite garden bird, and the more I get on my feeders, the merrier? Well perhaps it's partly because, when they do turn up in your garden, they usually have their mates with them. In fact, quite often, a lot of mates. And those mates don't always behave in a terribly orderly or civilised manner, but rather a bit like a group of noisy yobbos. Taking turns at a feeder isn't an option in mind for a starling. It's who can get to the feeder first, or push your friend off if he or she has beaten you to it. And the type of feeder won't matter too much either, with peanut feeders, suet feeders, and seed feeders full of tasty Peter and Paul all being viewed as fair game by this speckled, always apparently hungry and feisty little character. Because of this, one specific observation I often hear about starlings is that they're greedy. However, the reality is that they're no more greedy than any other songbird, and it's simply the fact that, as a very gregarious species, they're competing with others in the flock when they discover food. So the frantic and aggressive feeding is simply an instinctive necessity, and if individual birds didn't do it, they wouldn't survive for too long. Starlings use gardens all year round. But in the winter, a resident population is boosted by migrant birds from mainland Europe. Garden Birdwatch data reflects this, with the number of gardens reporting starlings rapidly increasing from October onwards. 
During the winter, you may be lucky enough to see a starling murmuration. These flocks gather in an evening and perform amazing aerobatic displays before dropping into their favoured roost sites. Flocks provide safety in numbers for birds returning to roost, as predators find it hard to target individual birds. In addition, they benefit from the warmth of other birds and the opportunity to exchange information. I remember seeing my first glossy, iridescent, colourful starling in my grandfather's garden in the 1970s, when I wasn't even a teenager. I couldn't wait to get back inside the house to identify this wonderful bird and add it to my garden list. Ever since that day I've been a huge admirer of starlings, and have always been impressed by the way in which they adapt to the presence of humans. They nest in our houses, sing from our aerials, take food from our garden, and often roost in our town centres. Despite this apparent tolerance, and contrary to opinions of many people, they're not faring well, and have lost over 80% of their population since I saw my first individual. This puts them on the critical list of UK birds most at risk, according to the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. Around 60% of their diet comes from invertebrates found in grassy pastures, and it might be that their decline is due to a corresponding decline in their prey. The loss of permanent pasture, possibly in other parts of Europe, as well as the use of chemicals in farming, have believed to be having a huge impact on starling population. So maybe after all of this, I haven't quite convinced you to start loving starlings, but perhaps just like them a little bit more. If yes, then there are two things which you can do to help reverse the decline of their numbers. Firstly, during the breeding season, providing mealworms will help breeding success and help more fledglings survive. And this is vital because in the past decades, around a third of starlings survived their first year, but now that figure is down to just 15%. Sultanas during the breeding season is also another fantastic food for them, so Peter and Paul mealworm mix that contains quite a few will be well and truly loved by them. The second thing you can do is put up one or two starling nest boxes. For this breeding season it'd be too late, but don't worry about that. Buy them, put them up now, and they'll be ready for next year. The humble starling is one of my favourite birds. It might not be the prettiest bird to look at, it might not have the sweetest song, and it most certainly isn't the best behaved and mannered. But for all of those reasons and more, I love them just the same and feeding them Peter and Paul will certainly help the starlings in your local area. For more information regarding Peter and Paul wild bird foods, please check out the Peter and Paul website at www.peter-and-paul.com or pop into one of our wonderful Pets Corner stores, and the nearest store to you can be found at Pets Corner's website at www.petscorner.com. Well that's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed it. For further birds please continue to check out the stream and I look forward to speaking to you soon.